heavy industry, cement, steel, aluminium, chemicals, trucks, shipping, aviation, collectively account for about 30% of global greenhouse emissions and could rise to as much as 60%. Welcome to The Great Reset, a podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at how we can rebuild a cleaner, fairer, smarter world after COVID-19. This week, mission possible. Is this the moment we decide to put heavy polluting industries on a path to become climate neutral? As we look to recover from the pandemic, the decisions we make today will either lay the foundation for sound, sustainable and inclusive growth, or they will lock us in to a polluting emissions world for decades. With an eye on COP26, the climate change summit postponed by coronavirus until November 2021, the forum brought together leaders from industry, government, finance and civil society for a virtual industry transition day to see how we might achieve the seemingly impossible. 53%, more than half the global economy, is already committed to net zero before 2050. We think that we can get that to well above 70% by COP26. I'm Robin Pomeroy. Subscribe to to the Great Reset on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mission possible. It's hard, but it's possible. And it is a mission that needs to succeed. After the global crisis, a global opportunity. This is The Great Reset from the World Economic Forum. My name is Dominic Worre. I am a Managing Director of the World Economic Forum, reducing emissions to net zero by 2050 or sooner across some key industry sectors. It's an important topic whose time has come. Um, We've made great strides, as you know, in getting to clean energy mobilization as part of the energy transition, developing renewable energy sources, battery technologies, electric vehicles. This has been an incredible journey and faster in many places than many would have thought. But whilst there's still much to do in these transitions, the next key area is heavy industry. Industries like cement and steel and aluminium and chemicals and trucks and other heavy land vehicles and shipping and aviation, which collectively account for about 30% of global greenhouse emissions and could rise to as much as 60% under some scenarios, if not tackled. So this transition of the heavier industries to net zero by 2050 or sooner is a key part of delivering on the Paris Climate Agreement. And that's what we'll be focusing on today in this series of discussions, underpinned throughout um, by the blueprint which was provided by the Energy Transitions Commission Mission Possible Report. And that's why the framing of this work is called Mission Possible. It's hard, but it's possible. And it is a mission that needs to succeed. Heavy industry uses vast amounts of energy, and while they can be made more energy efficient, there is simply no way you can make steel or aluminium or chemicals, for example, without using lots of energy. Adair Turner is chairman of the international think tank, the Energy Transitions Commission. I think it's clear that one aspect of the energy transition uh, is easier than we dared hope 10 years ago. Decarbonizing, we know how to decarbonize electricity generation faster and cheaper uh, than we dared hope. And therefore, the most important thing that we need to do to decarbonize the economy is to decarbonize electricity and electrify as much of the economy as possible. And that includes sectors such as surface transport, residential heating. But For some sectors of the economy, uh, it's not uh, so simple. You can't directly electrify uh, petrochemical production or cement production or or long distance uh, aviation. And I think it's important to work out how to uh, decarbonize these. And that's why three years ago, 
the Energy Transition Commission decided to focus on these hard to electrify or hard to uh, abate uh, sectors. And the good news is that it's absolutely technologically possible to do that and that the costs to the economy are not large. They're no more than about a half percent of GDP. We do actually know how to make uh, zero carbon steel, zero carbon cement, uh, and to enable zero carbon shipping. Uh, green electrification will play a crucial role, either because electricity will be used directly, for instance, in short distance aviation and shipping, or because we will use electricity to make hydrogen and hydrogen-based fuels such uh, as ammonia, which then play a crucial role in decarbonization. So what we need is very clear roadmaps to decarbonize each of the hard to abate sectors, underpinned by clear strategies to develop huge quantities of zero carbon electricity and zero carbon uh, hydrogen. But we were on that path uh, already before the COVID-19 crisis happened. I think on balance, the set of statements that have been made, particularly in the European Union, uh, represent an acceleration of government support uh, for that path. But there is a lot more to do. All the big hard to abate industries were represented at the Virtual Industry Transition Day, and you can see all of them on our website or our YouTube channel. But just to take one example, here's John Holland Kay, Chief Executive Officer of London's Heathrow Airport, on how aviation could be made carbon neutral. Well, aviation is a good example of a, of a hard to abate industry. It's one that brings massive benefits globally in connecting people, in bringing people out of poverty, but it's hard to abate. And and for that reason, it's always been carved out of any global deal on climate change uh, because there is no obvious solution for long haul or, or there hasn't been. And that has polarised people into either a view that aviation should be ring-fenced from climate change deals or that we should stop flying, which is a commonly uh, heard view, particularly in, in Europe nowadays. And of course, there has to be a middle ground. And that's exactly what the Energy Transitions Commission has identified as a UK sector, we have committed uh, with the first aviation sector in the world to commit to net zero emissions by 2050, which goes beyond uh, the requirements for aviation in the Paris Accord. And we think it's important that we do set a lead, particularly given that the UK is hosting COP26 next year. And the kind of actions that we're taking here are to focus on, on the way in which you power an aircraft. The game changer for decarbonizing aviation in the next few decades is sustainable aviation fuels, either from second generation biofuel or from synthetic fuels from combining hydrogen and captured carbon and powering this through uh, green electricity. And what we now need to do is to accelerate the development of a sustainable aviation fuel sector. It's a sunrise industry that will create uh, thousands of jobs, but it's one which is currently underfunded. And the kind of policy measures that we are promoting to, the, to our government are to put investment into the development of scaling up sustainable aviation fuel, 500 million pounds of match funded investment to get two big sustainable aviation fuel plants running by 2025. That could create jobs in the very short term, changing some of the government policies so that some of the, some of the money that comes out of aviation taxation is put back into developing sustainable aviation fuels. 
setting a mandate so that aviation companies have to start increasing the proportion of, of sustainable fuels that they use over time, which will send a market signal to the suppliers to start scaling up production. Now, these are very practical measures equivalent to those that have been so successful in uh, decarbonizing electricity generation with wind and solar. And uh, the government can really make a difference today by scaling up the production of sustainable aviation fuels. Now, because this is a global sector, there needs to be global coordination. And that's likely to be led out of Europe with the UK and the EU working together. But I think COP26 next year is a fantastic platform to promote to the world a view which says that aviation can decarbonize. We can get the benefits of flight in a world without carbon. We can keep on flying for, for future generations. And we can do that in a way which doesn't disadvantage the developing nations of the world for whom aviation is so important. And our aim is that we can use COP26 as a platform for getting a global coalition of the willing behind this, um, and that we can get a global agreement at the ICAO General Assembly in 2022. ICAO, of course, the International Civil Aviation Organization, the UN agency that sets the rules for global air transport. John Holland Kay mentioned there the need to remember that while we strive to massively reduce emissions from heavy industry, we do so in a way that doesn't harm the economic development of poorer countries, countries where greenhouse gas emissions are much lower than in the richer world, but are likely to rise very quickly as their economies grow. Damiola Ugunbi is the UN Secretary General's Special Representative for Sustainable Energy for All. It's very key to, to look for solutions that affect the developed countries now and the hard to abate industries, but also see if there's something you can implement at early stage of industrialization in the developing countries. I think some people leave out things when they talk about emerging markets in developing countries. I think there's just this assumption that they've already decided what their energy transition plans are. You get advanced countries like India who have got their plans, but majority of countries do not have their plans. They don't even have their plans to get to energy access and universal access. So for me, it's back to the planning. We have to be able to support developing countries in terms of universal access and industrialization looking at clean transition as part of it. And we're kind of seeing it already, right? So you have big nations like Nigeria deciding to remove fuel subsidy. That's huge for, for an oil and gas nation of that size. They've also decided that in their stimulus packages that they're connecting 25 million of their population to solar energy. All these things did not happen before COVID. So people are actually saying recover better, recover greener is the way to go to economic growth. And if you can sell that story and, and really help develop and bring private sector, joint ventures, the UK government into this conversation with emerging and developing countries, I think we'll see a, a, a real shift because I, I think that this will be a very missed opportunity if we do not take charge of what is currently going on in, in developing countries and only focus on the developed. So is the Great Reset the moment that we'll finally see a big push to decarbonise heavy industry around the world? This is Kwasi Kwarteng, Minister in Charge of Business, Energy and Clean Growth in the UK, the country that will also be hosting the Climate Summit COP26 next year. As we look forward to COP26 next November, our aim is to increase ambition towards a climate resilient, zero carbon economy. This progress needs to happen together with the global recovery from the COVID-19 crisis so that we can all build back better. Ahead of COP26, 
we have defined five sectors which need particular attention. Nature-based solutions, adaptation and resilience, finance, clean transport, and of course, clean energy. This includes industry, one of the most con uh, significant consumers of energy. Globally, emissions from heavy industry account for roughly 20% of the global total and are projected to rise further. These emissions need to fall rapidly to meet the commitments set out in the Paris Agreement. The industrial sectors are still referred to as the hard to abate sectors, and we need to change this. As the world responds to the impacts of COVID-19, we have a great opportunity to support the economic recovery by increasing investments in clean R&D. This not only supports jobs and economic growth, but will enable us to invest in actual solutions that will deliver a clean and resilient economy. Let me now consider the impacts of COVID-19 on this difficult challenge. In the current context, citizens, communities, and economies are facing the two greatest challenges of our time, climate change and the COVID-19 pandemic. As we look to recover from the pandemic, the decisions we make today will either lay the foundation for sound, sustainable and inclusive growth, or they will lock us in to a polluting emissions world for decades and in so doing, will make our society even more vulnerable. As numerous studies have shown, a science-led, clean and resilient recovery will create employment in the industries of the future, while ensuring that we address the linked challenges of public health, climate change, and biodiversity. We urge continued and increased momentum in relation to decarbonizing industry. Today's Industry Transition Day is an important starting point for a drumbeat of action between now and COP26 in November 2021. Quasi Quateng. So that's the rhetoric from a politician. But what about the real world? What will convince heavy industries that they need to aim for mission possible? Brian Moynihan, Chairman and CEO of Bank of America, says that as well as any regulatory push, there is now a business imperative. Companies that don't aim for net zero greenhouse gas emissions will find it harder to secure finance and to thrive. At the end of the day, to make the transition happen, we need the private sector to be doing its part. And the reason for that is is relatively straightforward. To do all the work uh, under the SDGs, the UN SDGs that were developed uh, a number of years ago, it's $6 trillion a year. The estimates for the, just the environmental piece are around $2 trillion a year, whether it's exactly right, think of the dimensions of the dollars we're talking about. And there's not enough money coming from governments. And we have been working across industries uh, through the International Business Council, the World Economic Forum, two things to help drive change among private sector companies. One is getting companies to commit to a, a net zero carbon neutral position by a date. So the commitment is that net zero has both that spiritual commitment to help the world make the transition, but also the important thing about a commitment to net zero by companies is it creates investment dollars. 
The second thing we've worked on is uh, metrics. Um, one of the issues has been with the proliferation of metrics in the world, you know, how can you tell if a, a private sector enterprise is doing the right thing or not? And, and every time we would go to try to prove as a company or a series of companies that we're doing the right thing, you get someone else, uh, different types of measurements popping up. So the World Economic Forum through the International Business Council, we've been working coming up with a set of metrics across all the sustainable development goals. But those metrics, including a commitment to not carbon neutrality, are critically important so that investors and owners of capital and the public writ large looking at brands can decide whether companies are making progress. And that progress is a pathway to, to, to get to where we want to get to. That is important, and that's when you're seeing these large companies make these long-term commitments. That's important for investors to understand, is companies don't do well in these metrics are not going to do well in the market in general. That then allows all the capital world across all the equity capitalizations, across all the sectors, across all the things to become aligned with promoting ESG and E, environmental being a big, a big part of that, promoting the capital to support the companies that do uh, are making progress. And the money will come out of the companies that are not making progress. Uh, but importantly, it'll provide an incentive uh, to match both the citizen demand, the governmental demand, um, and the governmental demand, and the customer demand, and the shareholder demand. And the end of the day, companies that can both perform for their shareholders and perform for society are going to be the ones that will be successful a long period of time. So as we come out of COVID-19, the governmental efforts, the rebuilding efforts, the channeling the money efforts can be matched with companies who are committed to be carbon neutral because they need to create the demand to make these projects work. And then secondly, with metrics on a long-term basis, so that the capital continues to form behind the companies to bring the $2 trillion a year we need to make the environmental progress. Just to check for those acronyms now, ESG, Environment, Society and Governance, the three pillars of sustainable business, and SDG, of course, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Though if you've got this far through this episode, I guess you probably know those already. I'm going to give the final word to Nigel Topping, the high-level climate action champion for COP26. He's a kind of global cheerleader for climate action in the run-up to that climate summit. When we come together in Glasgow in November 2021, our job collectively is going to be to show as a global community that we are confidently on track for the creation of a resilient zero-carbon economy in the 2040s. And we know that that's possible. We know that it's desirable and increasingly we know that it's likely that this is going to happen as a result of the kind of radical collaboration that I think this event really demonstrates. And we're really trying to build momentum in two ways. One one is growing the understanding of what's possible, but but the other really important one is increasing the number of people committed to what's possible because that itself makes it more possible, you know, that momentum. 53%, more than half the global economy, is already committed to net zero before 2050. We think that we can get that to well above 70% by COP26 in Glasgow. So the first thing I'd urge everybody who's listening is if you haven't committed yet, you haven't joined the race to zero, then you are going to be hearing um, more and more about what's possible and why you should join. So let's increase the numbers. And second of all, take the roadmaps really seriously. It's becoming much clearer, thanks to the work of Mission Possible and others, what everyone needs to do, yes, by 2050, but most importantly, in the next five years. And we know that this combination of a clear roadmap and more and more people committing drives exponential change. This is the cost comes down, technology adoption. We know this. We've seen this movie a thousand times before. This is the way industrial transformation happens. And just one final message. It's very hard to chase an exponential curve. If you hang around too long, you are choosing to be a loser whether you're a country affecting the competitiveness of your industry whether you're a city 
or whether you're a business or an investor, it's very, very hard to chase an exponential. So if you haven't already joined the race to zero, if you're not being paying attention to Mission Possible, then do your homework, join now, because it's only by doing that that individually we'll have winners rather than losers, but also collectively that we'll win. Nigel Topping, and that was just a flavour of packed sessions at the Virtual Industry Transition Day. You can hear and see full versions of all those interventions and the entire sessions on our website, weform.org, or our YouTube page. Just search WEF on YouTube. To make sure you never miss an episode of The Great Reset, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and also check out World vs. Virus, our sister podcast. Thanks to Gareth Nolan for help producing The Great Reset. Thanks to you for listening, and goodbye.